This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co-hosts, and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello everyone, Simone Cicero here as always, today running this episode with my usual co-host Stine Heikila. In this episode, we talk to Hannah Angelic, a strategy executive and a doctor of sociology working on business strategy marketing and organizational transformation. Hannah has worked with top global advertising agencies and has also worked on the other side, on the brand side, as a chief marketing executive. I was really happy to connect back with Anna after quite some time uh, since we last touched base. Uh, it was in the context of the uh, collaborative economy boom of the early 2010. Uh, she wrote thoughtful reflections on The Guardian and other news outlets. Uh, and she recently came back to my attention for her brand new newsletter, The Sociology of Business, where she explores the transformation of retail, modern brand building, and how new social and cultural patterns are impacting business. Inevitably, our conversation included the in-depth reflections about how brands are reacting to the current context of the COVID-19, which may lead to accelerating the trend of the coupling between consumption and individual status, something that Anna saw coming much more before the current crisis. We talk about the changing relationship between brands and consumers, what role culture plays in this transformation, and how technology can help but never fully replace human interactions. Enjoy this thoughtful conversation about the increasing need for empathy and social responsibility. And don't forget to check out the show notes for more information. Let's go. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the show today. We are uh, with Anna Angelic from the US. Um, you know, basically, we were, we are going to uh, use Anna's point of view and uh, uh, enormous understanding of what does it mean to build a brand in this in this world to confront about the transformations and the evolutions that the concept of branding is going through in these times. And for sure, these times are times of change, times of transformations, of organizing and expectations and consumers and so on. But uh, today it's hard not to see these times as times of crisis. Uh, so, so, Anna, what do you think about uh, how the role of brands uh, is transforming in this modern economy uh, in, in these times of crisis? It's a challenging time for everyone. And I've been seeing recently, recently, that means like last week or sorry, even the beginning of this week, how brands are really scrambling to figure out what best approach is to reach their customers because people are not shopping right now. They're just not spending money. This is not a time when, when people are investing in new clothes, in new furniture, in travel, and like whatever you whatever you would think that is 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 fuel of this modern economy basically shut down. And they're already what I call like winners and losers, because the winners are those who acknowledge the situation that their customers are in, put their customers first and their corporate spreadsheet second. It's not an easy thing to do. There are going to be layoffs. There are going to be downsizing of businesses. But at this time, at least for the moment, is the most important thing to really acknowledge and empathize with what the customers are going through. And then there are the losers, which are the ones who are basically bombarding customers with sales 
deals and coupon codes and uh, show us, you know, like uh, Tresame, for example, which is a hair care brand. is like, oh, send us the photo of your hairstyling for the chance to be featured. And I'm like, what, my quarantine hairstyling? Like, <laughs> do you want to see my hair right now, really? <laughs> you know? So there's just like that unbelievable tone deafness and unbelievable ignorance of what's happening outside the confines of their own company and maybe that's not really a reflection of reality maybe they are really worried about that but basically their advertising does not reflect that so that's what i think on a on a micro level on an immediate level what i'm seeing and on a macro level on a more long-term level i think we are we are going to see more and more of brands basically practicing restraint, practicing social responsibility and putting the values of generosity and kindness and sort of social good at the forefront. Because we are seeing right now that society and economy are more intertwined than ever. Crises like this are great truth-tellers. They really expose what is happening in society, how that impacts economy and exposes the truths about organizations, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, exposes the truth about people, who who walks on the right side of the street, who doesn't, and so on. So I think this is a great also opportunity to kind of capitalize on this newfound solidarity, if you will, and for brands to embrace that as one of the markers of aspiration. And uh, what continuity do you see? Because sometimes I think we we are, uh, especially these days, we are recording this interview. It's the 27th of March. And uh, we are, of course, uh, today it's hard to not uh, talk about coronavirus. But uh, I know that you are studying, let's say, this evolution uh, of branding since a long time. And you were among the first to catch also the... Uh, let's say, the impact of uh, phenomena uh, like uh, uh, the collaborative economy or in general this marketplace evolution, um, direct-to-customer uh, evolution. And what what continuity do you see in terms of uh, uh, customers' perception of a brand and uh, uh, the, the, the very evolution of the brand itself in, in, a, in, in this world that, that I believe is not just changing now? Maybe now it's changing faster, but it was changing already, right? Well, of course, the I mean, the, the it's been changing for the past, I don't know, 20 years. And then in the past 10 years, with the emergence of direct-to-consumer brands, they sort of um, rapidly, they sort of accelerated, if you will. Maybe the past five years, when you had more of those who just have an online presence, that they, they introduced their own aesthetic their own uh, taste regimes all of a sudden we all wanted to have like beautiful cookware and a nice spatula and you know like a beautiful piece of luggage you know that's like the entire aesthetic the entire taste that they introduced but more importantly what they introduced in terms of brand strategy and brand behavior is put customer at your center get gather as much data as you can organize your entire company around customers and their behavior, like have a very clear laser focus on who are your target groups and offer them aspiration that goes beyond just products, but goes also in content, in creating a community, in in smart cultural collaborations, in curating what's going on in the world overall. So I think they introduced direct-to-consumer is not a type of company. It's actually overall brand building practice. 
the way I see that. So I think that was the most uh, sort of dramatic change happened because all of a sudden you had a really big difference between the legacy brands and their behavior and marketing and brand strategy and these modern brands. Mm. And doesn't uh, doesn't sounds like the genie is out of the bottle. I mean, uh, once we we witness this power shift, no, between the the brand and the and the customer, let's say, which is no more not even a consumer anymore, because maybe it's not about consuming anymore. Uh, so so the the question that that I, I have is, now that this genie is out of the bottle. Um, what what does it change for that? So 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 you know uh, the power shift doesn't stop there. Maybe the, the the customers now will take over more functions of traditionally, uh, you know that traditionally would be um, provided by the organization by the brand. If I think about I don't know a simple example which could be Airbnb, you know, so you have the, a, a company whose whose brand is essentially represented mostly by people that are not employees uh, so so companies i think uh, need uh, you know are trying to build their brand and their stories by incentivizing uh, their users uh, and the producer on the producer side you know on the supply side to uh, somehow represent the brand so 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 do do you have any thoughts about that well, let me see if I understood correctly. You're basically saying that 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 brands are using their their customers to build a brand. Somehow, especially if we think about uh, the transition between the traditional company, which has just a consumer or I would say a customer, and uh, uh, the, these more two-sided brands that uh, organize markets instead of providing solutions. So, so at the end of the day, the brand somehow it's in person, you know, it's embodied by the the the, the users, you know, especially by the users on the supply side of the of the marketplace. Oh, sure. And I think that we are seeing like we've been seeing recently, I think that what you're describing has always somewhat been um, been the case, like uh, consumers were never really passive recipients, you know, they're always like used products, because they aligned with the, the how they perceive themselves or how they want to position themselves in the world or what social signals they want to give. But it was also a lot obviously about the price and the availability and uh, depending on the category uh, the consumer activity was more or less emphasized what we are seeing now in 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 a greater sort of or as a brand building strategy as a greater go to brand building strategy is the rise of so called fan made brands and the fan made brands are those that are what you just described are basically the entire brand is its fans so, for example, when you have Glossier as a brand, it's basically a platform, if you will, for all the community activity that is happening around the products. And products are very simple. There are just few of, of them, or uh, at least it was at the beginning when the community emerged. They're nothing special. They're not, you're not, that's not the best product. It's cheap, so anyone can have it. What is the value proposition of that brand is that anyone can have sort of like a soapbox, proverbial soapbox, and a megaphone to talk about their own beauty routines, to talk about their own preferences, to share their own looks. That's the entire premise of the brand is basically to nurture a community. 
And we are seeing more and more with brands who are choosing to go more slowly and sustainable, like Rafa cycling brand or Tracksmith running brand or Outdoor Voices even before it sort of went through the crisis with the, with the CEO leaving and so on, also had a very like clear who the dance community is, almost as, as political scientist Benedict Anderson said, imagined communities to describe rise of nationalism in, in the 19th century. It's like the group of people who share the same values, purpose, taste, who don't know each other, but they're also united under sharing the same interest. So I think like that's a must now, like having a strong community these days is something that's going to, that's distinguishing, already differentiating brands among themselves. And that's something that legacy brands don't have unless they're Nike, unless they're Harley Davidson. Or Patagonia. Sorry? sorry? Uh, Or Patagonia. Patagonia has it. Okay, that's it. Yeah. One one reflection that uh, that this uh, you know if I if I project this uh, evolution more in in the future, more forward. Uh, it looks like uh, we are moving from a consumer um, that in, in the last 10 years, I would say a customer that in the last 10 years has been, has been required to be much more engaged in the, in the story and in the process and in the product itself. You know? So uh, uh, can we imagine that in the future this uh, process uh, and this trend goes uh, more uh, forward, you know, basically uh, asking for, for customers to be engaged in... Uh, actively participating in creating the experience you know for example if i think about sustainability you know we can think about customers that suddenly are required to uh, maybe use uh, uh, use products in a different way i mean you know for example recycling them or you know recycling at least part of the packaging that they use or part of the ingredients so they don't receive any more uh, consumable product that they, they just consume and then throw into the bin but they are much more involved in the process so they, they for example if we need to recycle part of the product they need to ship it back or uh, so to, to what extent this narrative of uh, uh, user experience will be overcome in the future. Well, I think that that goes back to what I said at the beginning. What is that social role of brands? What is that social service, public service role of brands? And I think that brands are very powerful mechanisms of introducing um, social contagion and behavior contagion, if you will, because in uh, in sustainability, for example, when you see if our if our neighbors have solar panels, we are more likely to in, to install a solar panel ourselves. So we basically are very susceptible to imitation, are very susceptible to peer pressure, and I think that brands that are already having a community can can exert uh, a lot of that 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 peer pressure by inspiring who are the community leaders and even individual non remarkable individuals within to do what other people are doing for a greater good. And you see that also in food trends. Oh, now everyone is a vegan. Now everyone is doing juicing and cleanses and so on. So we like to do a lot, lot what other people do. We don't want to be left out. But it also like it signals to others 
our own virtue and that our own virtue if we perceive ourselves as someone who who takes who who cares about sustainability we are more likely to actually engage in a political more systemic action for voting for more sustainable policies and so on and that's exactly what i meant when i said that the brands have more important social role rather than previously just an economic role so i was uh, thinking when you were talking about this uh, social responsibility of brands and you know, targeting these communities and in somehow creating tribes. Uh, and I was thinking about no, conversations. Tribes. No, 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 no. I said it's not creating tribes. It's having different taste communities. But I think that tribes are somewhat different because they are basically just, they're, they're more an offline thing. And they're more like us versus them thing. When you have a taste community, it's more like Netflix. You can belong to a lot of different taste communities at a different time. So it's more a network rather than a group. Ah, uh, Okay. So maybe so. So my reflection was around uh, also about the, the the role of the brand in in kind of creating this narrative that it uh, that attracts then a community. Uh, so I, sorry for putting the wrong terms in the conversation. No, no, I just you know what? It's not it's like it's much easier to, easier to go back to tribes. But I'm I'm just um, conscious that it doesn't capture the complexity. Yeah. of the current marketing because marketing to tribes is very easy you just dial in the message and you target them it's it's it, now you have to like consider this whole network of different communities and the fact that a single person can be like three or four belong to three or four t- taste communities so the way you communicate to them is very different based on the content you're putting forward that, that's just that but of course you use something that everyone is using so it's fine yeah, yeah. So, so my my question actually was around. Uh, so, if you have this role of the brand, very actively trying to understand the consumers, and you also talked about this uh, collecting data and so on. So, I was wondering if you have uh, what your reflections are on uh, artificial intelli- intelligence and how uh, you know the combination of how brands are using that and how do you create a trust with your audience uh, when you might automate some of this reading of their behaviors. Is that clear? What, uh, what my question no, is? not really. You want to automate? Uh, no, I, like, can you just like simplify if you can, please? Yeah, well, I was wondering, you know, how if sometimes if you get, for example, to a chatbot and maybe you, as a brand, you're trying to create a very personal experience and, you know, empathizing with your customers. Uh, so I wonder if you have any reflection on what's, you know, how to balance that uh, between using technology to make it easier to interact with your uh, community, but not losing out on this very personal, uh, empathetic side. Right. So that's a it's a great question, and that's something that I think like I covered a few years ago when I was thinking in terms of hospitality, how to utilize the best of humans with the best of technology and how AI is excellent for crunching big data and really speeding up the process of personalization and customization of service. But at the last mile, always needs to be human. So not a chatbot. There is a reason why chatbots are not widely 
applicable even in places that are that make a lot of sense when you say when you go online for your telecom company or 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 something you know you're talking to a bot and that can go get you only so far so for the initial interaction when you think about say luxury hospitality as a blueprint you have that white glove service and a white glove service is so useful and so sort of uh, valued is because it always um, it's flexible, it's empathetic, and it's anticipatory, one step ahead of whatever you need. And that is where AI can play an unbelievably big role because it can detect patterns and it can summarize a lot of data very quickly. However, how the way that was that is delivered needs to be delivered by a human. So you have the best combination of what is the human touch with what technology can provide. Okay, thank you. Great, um, great reflections. Um, so, so I'm try. I'll try to articulate my question in a, in a way that, that is uh, uh, understandable. Because sometimes when we talk about these things, uh, the, the reflections that we do are so deep that it's uh, sometimes hard to articulate. But you know, you launched you launched recently a, a newsletter called the Sociology of Business, and I'm a big uh, fan of it. And uh, um, I think. Uh, that this reminded me of uh, some reflections that, for example, other friends that uh, that I'm working with since a few years uh, uh, were doing already when they launched a, a project called Societying. So, so there is this conversation about the, the evolution of marketing into something new and uh, the evolution of business into something new. So, so there is this potential of, uh, um, you know, the potential that we will need in the future to go much beyond what uh, what is consumerism and uh, uh, moving into essentially uh, um, uh, you know uh, letting the, the citizens the participants the, the customers to become much more active in organizing so so it's, it's like you know the, the concept of the organi- the industrial organization providing everybody with solutions is is, is there then we are moving into uh, into a new concept of organizing that is much more about people uh, and institutions uh, being created by, uh, by by people by organi- by organizations on, on a small scale on a distributed scale. So so the the shape of the company, the shape of the organization so far has been moving from the monolith of the industrial age into these uh, marketplaces and direct to customer and. Uh, uh, big uh, platforms, but uh, many see in the future a far transformation into something much more distributed, much more, uh, I would say, uh, similar to, um, I would say, a language or a protocol than to a formal organization. No, so so in, in this evolution, uh, I think uh, my my impression is that we want to keep the the brand, the capacity to create brands. Uh, uh, and not necessarily the consumerism of the industrial age. So uh, do you have any reflection of how uh, the, the, the underst- our understanding of creating brands and narratives uh, and storytelling uh, will be transforming uh, in line with these big transformations that we are seeing in the background uh, in terms of uh, cultural evolution or, or sustainability or... Uh, crisis and and uh, uh, resource uh, uh, resource uh, related crisis as well. So so how do we, how, how is it changing the, the the practice of creating brands and stories in this new perspective? So in terms of the, yeah brand story, that's a great. I mean the brand storytelling. I think overall is. Um, 
is something that is one thing that we'll always have we'll always have no matter what is happening because brands are created to tell stories in order to humanize selling at the end to, to go move beyond transactions and to promise people oh if you only buy this product you're going to be younger you're going to be prettier you're going to look more accomplished or you're going to like be smarter and you know you're going to be more popular so there are always that promise of some some other version of ourselves a story of some other version of ourselves that that brand used to entice with products and i think in in the past however we were always moved by brands towards like buy more 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 of this if you buy more of our products you'll be going to be more you know smarter you're going to be more accomplished so there's always this accumulation of of of, of things and, and like consume entire consumer society that is built around that promise of brands of of bigger is better and more is more what we are seeing now it's almost like flipping the script because that sort of behavior of brands of individuals really brought us um climate crisis more airline miles does not mean that you're more accomplished as we are all seeing right now that may like now that we're stuck at home we realize that yes we can connect virtually we don't really need to travel that much so there we should use this current crisis to see what behaviors are really detrimental for our planet in terms of climate and then what are detrimental for us? Because what we are seeing is like being super busy, always doing something, always being on social media, always posting. It's detrimental for our mental health, for our emotional health, for our social health, how we connect with others, what we prioritize. And I think that is very big role that brands had in terms of the narratives that, were, that they were putting forward. They were creating narratives of aspiration that you have to like travel all the time, accumulate social media likes, accumulate airline miles. So now they have a big role on flipping that script, flipping that story, that narrative, and turning into something that's more socially responsible, that's more human. And I think that is where the storytelling is going next, really, in becoming more human, more attuned with 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 how people behave, what they really need, rather what capitalism needs, if you will. Hmm. And uh, uh, to build on this, uh, my feeling sometimes is that uh, um, so far, let's say that... Uh, uh, the status uh, of you know status or in general um, I would say um, the story of you know the story of being appreciated for certain uh, you know capabilities or, or, or owning some sort of uh, goods or, or and or, or you know the, actually the personal status has been uh, pretty much uh, defined top down. You know, so the, the, the main story was uh, pretty much common. No, the, the, the in the industrial age, uh, we, we're pretty used to mainstream idea of success, let's say. And uh, what I feel these days is that uh, what uh, we have been w- witnessing in the last few years is that uh, there's a lot more um, 
uh, epistemological complexity uh, in you know now that we are understanding that the world is super interconnected and maybe we're not just going to solve everything with science and nobody understands what's really happening and so point uh, uh, a microscopic virus is stopping the all the all over the world is stopping economic activity and and putting into question everything i think this is just an expression or in general much more broader uh, complexity and uh, 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 our failure as 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 societies to to let's say define top down what is the uh, what is the the right behavior at least you know for Western society because we could have a conversation about China for example uh, and so what is your feeling in terms of uh, developing these uh, personal ethics uh, so so basically consumers being now responsible to develop their own ways to be in the modern world and their, their own ways to relate with con- consuming and buying products or, or building their own or creating their own organizations, uh, being much more active in, uh, you know, showing up in the world and, and uh, uh, choosing what to be, how to behave. I think this is a great question. And I think that's what sort of like brings us back what we talked a little bit earlier about the the social and behavioral contagion when it comes to sustainability or food, how we exert pressures on each other, how that pressure is now going laterally, and how we adopt behaviors that other people have because we saw it on our Instagram feed, we saw it on internet, we, you know, like we are seeing it. It's not anymore like this... Um, mass media images that we all like aspire to now the aspiration that's why i insisted on taste communities versus tribes because inspiration is everywhere and we we have the opportunity to combine our own aspirations maybe i'm really into sustainability but i'm also into fashion so how i'm going to combine those two things i'm going to buy sustainable fashion but i'm also what all uh, what else am i going to to do in a sense so i think we are influencing each other we have the means to influence we always influence each other but i think now that's more visible and that's why trends move so fast because influences come and go and spread and then they they're contained so in a sense um, what we are seeing that more is that the role of brands are to sort of tap into that mood that is already happening, what people are already talking about, what people, how people are already starting to behave and to amplify certain behaviors, for example, sustainability or, for example, kindness or generosity or community towards others or, for example, being a better runner, going from like really basic stuff. So that's one way to do that. And the other is to really look at what are those subcultures where the trends are spreading for who are those like mega creatives who are those like people who are really maybe creating new trends or who are maybe amplifying the, in a big way the trends that are already happening because as you see you don't have any more it girls every girl can become an it girl in their own community and that can then be amplified and so on so i think that is the role of brands to really recognize the complexity of that social dynamic and to sort of shape that social dynamic their their marketing needs to become like almost sociology almost the analysis of like oh what is what what are the social networks how do they behave how do i insert myself there how do you amplify certain things how do i dial down on certain things and so on and i i just want to follow up it's a bit of a tangent i don't know if you uh if it's uh easy to answer probably not but uh so sometimes in a global perspective, no, we have this kind of uh, inequality between 
places in the world. So even if, if we can see this trend going on in, in the West, uh, I wonder about emerging economies. Um, and if you think that we can witness the same kind of aspirations, even in places that are less materially uh, developed. Well, that is, a, I think this is really important point that you bring. And I think that we are having like unbelievably big divide between the, the developing developed countries and developing countries. Because when you see like in terms of um, awareness of the climate crisis in the countries that experienced outcomes of that, like India, where, where you have like, or, or Australia with bushfires or California. I mean, California is developed in Australia, developed countries, but people who had experienced the impact of, cri- of climate change and climate crisis are more likely to do something about it or to be aware that, that that's happening. In developed countries, us who, we who, all of us who, who haven't experienced them, that maybe directly now we are for, for the first time experiencing a global hardship are not so primed they're not so sensitive to 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 sort of react oh in you know like the climate crisis is happening we're you know it's a it's a it's a terrible thing because for like humans are not wired to respond well on very distant threats or tense threats that are happening far away so my hope is that this current pandemic is actually going to make us all more aware aware of fragility of our societies. Yeah, thank you. Share your hope. And uh, uh, one thing that also Stina, um, yeah, um, you know, more or less as we approach this, I would like to ask you this last question, basically. Um, uh, so as Stina make, made the point of this, uh, the uh, universalized um narratives you know so so uh basically not ev- not everything is western you know? so 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 we also need to factor in all these things uh but my last question for you would be uh, if you think about um you know you mentioned for example the speed you know this need to be much faster and uh, this need to be much uh, more uh, a bit, a bit, uh, able let's say my impression to also be uh, able to capture trends and 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 and, empath- and stories, let's say, at a local level instead of a global level. So it feels like it's much less global conversations from certain point of view and much more localized uh, uh, conversations about, uh, you know, brands, for example. And so, so what 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 do you think uh, in terms of organizational structures that companies need to develop to be able to cope with these? Uh, uh, f- fragmentation of uh, of storytelling, this fragmentation of branding. Well, I think that it's not. I mean, again, like don't think about it as fragmentation. Think about it as collection of niches. Again, think about it in terms of network and see how all those niches are connected because they all all are connected. You don't really have the subcultures anymore. Like any subcultures is also influenced by global culture, and any global culture is influenced by something that happens, say, in Tajikistan. You know, like because everything is connected and you can see what are the local trends that are getting amplified on a global level. And also, like, the local ones that are taking whatever is happening, like, uh, 7,000 miles away and interpreting it and appropriating it for their own local 
place. When you see that, like in Japan, you see that in the United States, you see like the influence of Japanese way of doing things. Like when you have omotenashi or kitsugi or wabi-sabi, it's everywhere now, but it's always a, a appropriated adopted for the western culture or what you have seen in japan is like with the blue denim how they appropriated even the, the 50s preppy look and so now apply that for like or even with vetements um and uh, and them nagvasalia how he took like looks from his georgian like eastern european childhood and put them on a global stage so i think it's a two-way street and it's better to think about it as a collection of niches than one mass market well definitely this resonates a lot with uh, our understanding also of this uh, platform economy you know uh, as a way that uh, something that was born to actually make these niches possible somehow so uh anna uh, thanks very much for this uh, illuminating conversation of branding. Is there something that uh, you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, something that uh, I, you believe people really need to think about when we think of, when they think about branding in these crazy times. Well, I think like that again. The beginning is also the end, and I hope that this crisis makes uh, makes us all smarter that it makes us all more socially aware that it makes us all more socially responsible because we see that in a global world contagion can spread very quickly and that we also need to then think about how can we create behavioral and social contagion how we can all be more responsible and towards each other at the top and i think that the big 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 thing for brands for the after all of this is over not to forget for all of us not to forget what we are going through right now but to really use it to do better in this world to be more human, to be more generous. And this is not just a fluffy talk. It's really, you're seeing right now that that brands and these economic entities cannot operate separately from, from what is going on in the world. And they really do have a responsibility to flip that script, to flip that narrative of mindless consumption and to inspire us to become some people to, to kind of like put aspiration in front of all of us that is more sustainable that is more socially viable well it's great to end this conversation on this note of uh, embeddedness and systemic uh, uh, viewing systemically you know the theory of branding and the practice of branding so thanks very much Anna. was illuminating and uh, uh, thanks for your time Thank you very much for your great questions, both of you. And uh, I, I hope this was useful and I look forward to, to following your work. I'm a big fan of, of, of your work and I look forward to following what you're going to come up with next, where you're going to extend all these conversations you're having with this podcast. Anna, do you want to add something on where people can find the most of your work? Well, uh, thank you for asking that. And I have a weekly newsletter every Tuesday morning, morning in, uh, in, in New York time called The Sociology of Business. If you just Google it, you can find that online. But uh, you can also find me on Twitter with my name, on Instagram. So these are all ways to find uh, about my thinking, about my writing, about my work with brands and um that's uh that's i think like just put my name in google that's the fastest way to find all of these things so thank you for asking that simone and i i totally suggest your, your newsletter i'm enjoying it every week thanks very <laughs> much again and talk to you soon talk to you soon and thanks a lot for having me it was a wonderful to hear from you again 
Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you by our research sponsor, Intesa San Paolo. We want to also thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.